Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Today I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. We have been in Exodus for, uh, for a long time. In fact, we've been reading through the book of Exodus together as a church for about nine or ten weeks now. And so uh, I did not want to leave this without uh, uh, making sure that we covered something that is uh, very uh, prevalent, a very important part of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we have drawn parallels in the Bible, between what happened naturally to the children of Israel and what is happening spiritual to us today. You know the parallels that we've drawn. I've asked you to read through Exodus. I've asked you to read through Numbers. We're going to read uh, through the book of Deuteronomy and through Joshua. We're going to do this drawing parallels instead of looking at the Bible as a history lesson Instead of looking at it and believing that somehow God wrote this to commemorate uh, the children of Israel, we're going to look at it instead like a roadmap. The Bible was written for us. We are alive on planet earth and we are the ones that the Bible should make sense to. When whenever we pass from this life to the next, then the next generation in whatever situation they find themselves, in whatever circumstances presents uh, uh, in, in their generation, then the Bible will be applicable to them, but they will have to read it and draw parallels from what happened then to what is happening now. We read, for example, that the children of Israel, God's children, that they lived in Egypt and he delivered them from Egypt. We understand today that Egypt is a symbol of the world. They got delivered from Egypt by a man named Moses from a guy who was a Pharaoh that was an evil taskmaster. Well, we got delivered from the world by a man named Jesus, a deliverer, from Satan who was an evil taskmaster. And then they went across the Red Sea, water baptism. We get water baptized. Then a cloud covered them, and we have a Holy Spirit covering us. And then they got manna from heaven every day, and we get the word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread that came from heaven. Did your fathers did eat in the wilderness. Every day they got, they got bread from heaven. Every day we get the word of God. They went to a tabernacle in the Old Testament. We have a church. I mean, on and on and on and on. They faced enemies we face enemies. Their natural enemies are our spiritual enemies. We talked about the six enemies that they faced going into the promised land. You know, I would encourage you to look back online and, and listen to those series, go to the podcast and, and, and get a good handle on the enemies that you are going to face in this life. The enemy of compromise, you know, uh, the, the, the enemy that wants to make you afraid, that wants to make you angry, that wants to make you have outbursts so that it ill sets you and takes away the favor that God is trying to create in your life. Look at those enemies. Today, we're going to look at the overall umbrella of what God told the children of Israel that they could do and that they should do in order to please him. Today, we're going to talk about please God, not Oh, please, God, but rather, 
please God. Okay. Today we're going to look at our lives as though that, uh, that we are doing what God wants us to do, but there are some things that perhaps we could do a little better, or maybe some things we need to look at and run some parallel scenarios in our life to understand what God was talking about, what God was saying to us when he said this to them. What does it mean today when God was talking to them? Not what it means in history, but what it means to my life today. How does this apply to me? It's important that we take note, even in our own families, that when people are doing what they should do, they often get very little recognition. When you're doing things okay, seldom do you get recognition. You know, for, for a few years, uh, I was a policeman and I would, I would ride around in a police car with the lights and the siren and, and you know, and, and the badge and the gun. And whenever I would pull up behind someone who was driving good, seldom did I turn those lights and sirens on and stop them. I don't know if I ever did. And say, oh, you're just doing so good. <laughs> no, that just doesn't happen in life. Jesus said, in fact, he said, when you're doing what you should do, what thanks do you have? Why do you want somebody to clap and holler and scream and lead a parade because you took the trash out? Because you got up on time, because you went to work. You know, things we should do, we should not be looking for a pat on the back because we're just simply doing what we should do. However, each one of us should value whenever we get a little encouragement to do something different because it would be better. I said that in a very mild way. But when you do something that's wrong, you can expect somebody to say something about it. Hello? Yeah. That's the way we raise our families. That's the way God raised us. Is that many times when we're doing what we should do, it seems as though everything's okay. Jesus said, I didn't come to save those who are already saved. I didn't come to help those who don't need any help. He said, I'm looking around for those who are doing things they shouldn't do, and that's the one I'm targeting because I want to encourage them to do better because you're safe. If you're doing everything you should do, you are safe. You're okay. If life is okay, great. Rejoice, okay? Be happy. But each one of us should examine ourselves. And so let me just cut to the chase in Exodus, the 20th chapter, and give you... 10 things that you need to consider if you really want to please God. And believe you me, having a happy God is better than having an angry God. Hello? <laughs> having a happy God is better than having, uh, you know, a God that is upset, right? Uh, an, an unhappy God. Now, uh, so let's, let's look at these things. And my hope is to encourage us uh, to, to, you know, inspire you to want to please God and to take a look at what this means today and not just relegate it to some cold, dead stones, okay? It's a living word we have. Every word in here is a living word, okay? It's alive. God said it. His word does not die. We need to see what he meant instead of it just being a historical account, which it is. But even more than that, it is a roadmap for us today. The church and the word of God, uh, the church is not a refrigerator to preserve all that God did. We are rather incubators to, to hatch out all that God wants to do. More than just about what he did, 
Let's talk about what he wants us to do. Are you ready? Exodus chapter 20. We'll read verses 2 through 17. Okay? We'll say this is the first thing you can do to please God. Verses 2 and 3. God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other. You want to please God? Have no other gods before him. This is a very important aspect. He said, I am the one that brought you out of Egypt. You see, the children of Israel had made a false god in the wilderness, and they said, this is the god that brought you out of Egypt. Your gold brought you out of Egypt. Okay? You're, you, you, you did it. You did it. You're the one that did it. And, and, and that is, uh, you know... That's something that makes God very unhappy. When we imagine that by our own strength, by our own might, by our own power, somehow by our own wisdom, by our own smarts, that we are able to deliver ourselves out of the proverbial Egypt, out of the world, and somehow secure ourselves for an eternity. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. He is the one. And we need to realize and buy into the reality that he is the one that delivers us from the world and from sin and from Satan. And we should have no other gods before him. We should worship nothing more. We should make nothing a greater priority in life than Almighty God in our relationship with him because it's not just about this world, but it's about a world to come, a world that we cannot control, a world we cannot even imagine. What will we do one second after we step from this life to the next? We must have trusted God. And to please him, we must put him first. We must put him in front of other things in our life. Things that are good, things that are wonderful, things that are blessings. But we cannot allow the blessings to become our God. In fact, in the wilderness, God gave the children of Israel a symbol by which when they looked upon, they were healed of a plague. It was a serpent on a stick that was stuck up in the air. And when they looked on it, God healed them of a plague. He blessed them with healing. But do you know, in generations to come, people began to worship that serpent on that pole. And they started giving offerings to it and they started singing songs to it. Why? Because it was a relic that had been, that had, that had been a blessing to one generation, but it became a curse to another because they put it in front of God. We can't worship church. We can't worship denominations or interdenominational. We can't worship church on the rock. We can't worship even your healing. We can't worship the things that God blessed you with. Maybe God blessed you with a job. Maybe God blessed you with, with the increase, but you cannot begin to allow yourself to imagine that those things could ever take the place of God, and they can. God wants us to remember it wasn't by our strength, our might, our power that we came out of Egypt. It was by him, and we should have no other gods before him. Let's read verses four through six. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that's in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. This is commandment number two. 
But now you realize these 10 ways that God told the children of Israel that they could please him were 10 commandments that he gave them. These 10 commandments, although they were written in stone and they were cold and, 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 and they were unforgiving, yet they came from the heart of a loving God. They were a shadow of things to come, which now we see Christ, the very image, and him speaking into our lives and still hoping that we would not create things by our own power, by our own design that become primary in our lives. He doesn't want us to go out, for example, and, 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 and make something that all of a sudden becomes our master. All of a sudden, we have to pay homage to. All of a sudden, we have to give offerings to. All of a sudden, instead of following God, instead of being able to serve God, instead of being able to do what God wants us to, Dad, gummit, you know, I, I got that... I got that new stove, and, and since I got that new stove, all I can do is cook. Uh, I don't know. That wasn't a good one, was it? Uh, I don't want uh, to pick on boats and stuff because uh, I like boats. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you buy something, if you're not watchful, sometimes it can become your master, and sometimes you begin to say, well, you know, uh, we used to go to church on Wednesday nights, but now I can't. Now, now I got to, you know, uh, th that's what they, they said. Oh, well, I'm... I bought a field and I, and, I, and I have to plow it. I mean, I, I, I have uh, oxen. I have to prove them. I have to take care of them. I have to train them. If you're not watchful, you can be blessed and get so many things that you create, carve. You create yourself a God that demands your time and that, that absolutely demands your priorities. And uh, God wants us to be cautioned as we bring this word out of a historical account and things he told them not to do. Don't carve a false God. We also should not create things in our life that take our time, demand our attention, and create in us less of an ability to serve the Lord at his wish, at his will. It's not to say that we should not have things, but it is to say that things should not have us. And when you find something that you have is having you, perhaps it's time to consider getting rid of it. Well, let me just pray that for you. Oh God, no. You pray that for yourself. If something which was a blessing begins to take God's time and you can no longer read your Bible, you can no longer pray for your family and friends and, and the lost, and you can no longer go on mission trips, and you can no longer you know, uh, uh, serve the Lord or no longer attend church or no longer uh, you know, have, have the friends and the fellowship God wanted you to have because of the blessing, then perhaps the blessing is no longer a blessing. Amen? All right. Uh, verse three, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now he's just not talking about saying GD. I mean, if you want God to damn something, make sure it's something he wants to damn before you ask him to damn it. Okay. But here he's talking about in our world taking, and I don't recommend you do that by the way, uh, taking the name of the Lord to take Christ on your life. If you go around saying GD, you stop that. Right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't do no more of that. That's bad. But if we take on the name of Christ, we don't need to take it in vain. We need to take it with purpose. 
If we're going to be a believer, if we're going to be a, a Christian, then we need to be a Christian that shines in this life. We don't need to be one that looks like and lives like the world and, and just take on the name, just get saved and take on the name like a little fire insurance and take it in vain because it will hold us guilty of claiming to be a light to the world, a salt in the earth, and no, not, not sharing that with anyone. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor. Everybody say six. Okay, we do a four and three now. I know how it works. But, uh, but he, God works six days. Find a little something to do on that, on that fifth and sixth day. Six days shall you labor. <laughs> That's just as much a part of this as, as, as the Sabbath. Okay, uh, that means we need to spend our time product productively. It doesn't mean that you have to be at the job, be earning a wage, but it does mean that God intends us for us to spend our life with, with, with productivity. You know, working on, on family, working on friendships, working, you know, we have time and God intends for us to, to be a productive people while we're on the earth. Uh, he said, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Any of you shall do no, no work. You or your son or your daughter or your maidservant, your female servant, your, your uh, cattle or, or, or uh, your male servant, rather, or your female servant or your cattle or your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and, uh, uh, day and hallowed it. You know, uh, th this is the fourth commandment, and it's just as important today as it ever was. Do you know, uh, specifically talking historically, when he said that the children of Israel, he intended for them to take a day off every Saturday. He intended for them to rest and to not work and, and, and to enjoy family and relaxation. We still need that today. You still need a mental break, an emotional break, a spiritual break. You still need a physical break in life. And if you're not taking one, let me encourage you to set a day aside and rest. I mean, God himself rested, okay? But more than just being a legal tenant of not being able to, to rest on a, on, 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 uh, having to rest on a Saturday and all the laws that went with it, God was hoping that we would understand a pattern. This was a, a bigger picture. It was a shadow of something that was to come because in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus is our Sabbath. We enter into a rest, into a Sabbath rest. It's important that we realize that man was created on the sixth day. Man's first day was God's day of rest. What does that mean? The picture of that means this, that God intended for us to rest in him. You see, we don't work to be saved. We work to carry on this life. We don't work for the next. We are saved by grace. And the Bible says that one of the sad things about the children of Israel is that they never stepped over into the rest of God without receiving that security and that confidence and that peace that comes with knowing from knowing that God has saved you. He's taken care of it. He's provided it. He took care of everything in creation and then he made man to rest with him. Enter into the rest of God. Let there be peace in your life and joy in your life. If you have not come to the place where the fruits of the Spirit are evident, love and joy and peace and patience, you have not entered into God's rest. Enter into his rest. Keep this rest of God. It's a holy gift from God. 
make sure that you understand what it means for you today. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's a day of work. It's a day to go all the world and preach the gospel. But we should have a day that we can physically, mentally, and emotionally, spiritually rest. But also more than that, we should have a life of rest, of peace, and of joy, and of patience. Enter into his rest. And when you're not doing it, someone should encourage you. You need to have a little more peace in your life. And you should remember, that is how I please God, is by being at peace with him and with others, having patience, having joy, you know, having a good time. That's what God wants for us. Number five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You know, whether it's a biological parent or a foster parent, uh, an adoptive parent, a spiritual parent, other people, men and women who stand in a position of honor and respect in our lives, God expects us to respect them just like he expected the children of Israel to honor their mother and their father. Don't be found saying things to other people that are negative or derogatory about your parents. But also it's important to realize that without respect to how your parents may be, You might say, well, you just don't know my parents. Without respect to what they did or didn't do in your life, do you know you do not have to repeat that? You could change that and break that cycle. You could be the parent that you never had to the children God is giving you. But without regard, it's important that you honor. Honor does not mean obey. Honor does not mean agree with. It just means to respect that position, because it is a God-given place. Number six, you shall not murder. Okay, don't anybody do that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he said, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I'm telling you that if you're angry with your brother without cause, if you're going around slandering and, and tearing people down and gossiping, then you are committing murder just as much as the guy who put a bullet in somebody. Wow. Okay, examine yourself. Number eight, you shall not steal. No, number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said in Matthew again, chapter five, he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I'm telling you that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery already. It's important that we realize that these things are matters of the heart. They're not just matters of the action. They're matters of the heart and of the mind. I have heard it said that, it, that you should, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, no. You have heard it said that you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. No, he said. He said, what I'm talking about is not something that's cold and written in stone, but I'm talking about your heart and your mind. What do you do in your heart and what you do in your mind is, is as important to God as what you do physically. And we need to realize that if we're going to please God, we cannot commit murder. We cannot commit adultery. We cannot steal, number eight. I know this is a hard one for you. You know, April 15th will be here soon. Let me just encourage you. If you want to please God, don't cheat on your income tax. Don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. Don't go to a buffet 
and not pay for it and eat off somebody else's plate? Don't do that. You're saving money? Well, you're bordering sin. And it doesn't make God happy. If somebody gives you more change than they should, give it back. Come on. These are, these are ways that we please God. It's a reality in life. Please God. You shall not bear false witness. That means don't lie. And let me just throw this in here. You have heard it said you shall not lie, but if you say something that you don't know for sure is the truth, you're lying. Your imaginations don't rise to truth. Your opinions don't rise to truth. Your, your sub, you know, the Bible says that we should not be evilly surmising. That we shouldn't look at something and automatically default to why, it's, why that would be bad. When we begin to judge and criticize, it's the same thing in our hearts and our minds. We're lying to ourselves about somebody else. It doesn't have to come out of your mouth. These are good days, huh? Okay, number uh, 10. You shall not covet. Okay? Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet. What does covet mean? Covet means I want what somebody else has. It kind of even bleeds into I, sh I deserve it and they don't. I should have that. Why do they have one and I don't have one? You know, instead of wanting what they have, won't you be glad they got it? That would please God. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Well, hey, y'all get the picture, right? Here's what I'd like for us to do. I would like for us to go on a journey this week together to find the three people that needed this today that weren't here, and you tell them about it. Okay. Huh? Oh, this is going to be a fun week. It's going to be a fun week, all right? Because somebody needs it, you know? Somebody needs to know that if they would change just a little bit, they could make God happy. And listen, God has a hard job. He's got enough to put up with without me adding to it. Without him having to sit up there in heaven and say, oh my goodness, he's cheating on his income tax. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I thought he would do better than that. He's talking about something. He feels that way about them. He's imagining evil. To be he's getting so much stuff. The stuff is starting to get him. Oh my. So let's help others not be like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. 